I'm Danielle Levine, and you're listening to The Future Effect. The Future Effect is a weekly podcast bringing you the latest news and updates in Florida's child welfare system. This podcast is brought to you by the Future Effect Political Committee, a bipartisan effort to give Floridians an opportunity to get involved in the legislative and political process on behalf of Florida's children. Well, everyone, you are here back with the Future Effect. You're talking with Danielle Levine and Mrs. Joe Durso. Did you say Mrs. Joe Durso? I said this is Joe Durso. Okay. But okay. <laughs> Looks maybe like enunciation is going to be maybe. the name of the game today. How about I just say and Joe Durso? All right, I think I think that works. Uh, and we're back with the future effect. And so this week we are talking about all of the fascinating things behind nonprofit insurance, uh, which I have been getting a very quick uh, deep dive into, and there is so much more to this topic than I possibly could have ever imagined. Nonprofits across America provide critical services to some of our nation's most vulnerable populations, like foster children. And during a global pandemic that has added considerable financial strain to operational budgets and limited access to key resources, nonprofits are facing an additional crisis that poses a severe obstacle to providing Americans the assistance they need. And that's skyrocketing insurance costs. Well, we are very fortunate to be joined this week with Pamela Davis, who is the founder, president, and CEO of a group of nonprofit insurers known as the Nonprofits Insurance Alliance. And so I'm fascinated because I did not know that this was a whole industry. So would you mind telling us just how you kind of fell into this world? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Uh, I will give you the short version of that. Uh, Frankly, I was a graduate student at UC Berkeley in the mid-80s. And at that time, nonprofits were having just a horrible time getting insurance. And so I decided that I would write my graduate thesis on this topic. And when I dug into it, it was fascinating because a financial service, typically, if there's money to be made, there's going to be um, insurance offered. But for some reason, the insurance industry had gotten itself into financial difficulties, and they were offloading all kinds of organizations. I learned not just nonprofit organizations, but nonprofit organizations were particularly hard hit. So in my thesis, I proposed that uh, nonprofit organizations were not as risky as the insurance industry had made them, uh, painted them to be, and that I felt that for the future of our sector, it was really important that we actually take on our own risk, that we create our own insurance company, because uh, as I dug deeper, I realized that the insurance decisions in terms of who would get coverage and how it would be priced were being made by insurance executives that frankly tend to be uh, white men and that didn't have experience with the sorts of things that a lot of uh, nonprofit organizations were actually doing in their communities. So they Mm. were afraid of what they didn't know. So I took my thesis after it was Uh, It was actually published by the uh, foundation, California Community Foundation, and um, I just, uh, people said, well, this is a good idea. 
um, see if you can do it. So it took, about, <laughs> it took a couple of years and that was a long winding road, but ultimately we launched in 1989. So I see that you currently insure more than 20,000 nonprofits in 32 different states. So it looks like you all have grown quite a bit since then. <laughs> you know, I started uh, in a way that I would never do again. It was with a million dollar loan from the Ford Foundation and a few other foundations that chipped in a little bit, but it was still a loan. Uh, you should never start an insurance company with a loan, but I didn't know any better. I didn't have any insurance experience uh, when I started this organization. Nevertheless, um, uh, we succeeded and we have had an additional influx of capital when we expanded outside of California for our risk retention group from uh, 5 million from uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and 5 million from the Packard Foundation. So uh, they saw what we had done in California and thought it would be important to have this sort of uh, a company available as a nonprofit for the rest of the nonprofits around the country and uh, and put in 10 million together. So Pamela, talk a little bit about the changing landscape for nonprofits and how insurance it really has become a very critical part yes. of their day-to-day -day operations and you know their need just to survive as a corporation or to survive as a as a as a business just because it's a nonprofit doesn't mean it's not a regular business. Um, and it doesn't mean it doesn't have the same roles, responsibilities um, that any other uh, organization would have. So talk about how the role of insurance has kind of evolved and what role uh, that the, um, uh, the Nonprofit Insurance Alliance has played in that evolution. Uh, excellent question. And I think that... Um, Certainly over the, the last 30 years, it has become insurance, having insurance, and we're talking liability insurance here, property insurance has been particularly uh, essential. Uh, think about it, as a nonprofit organization, if you're doing activities at all, uh, you don't, first, you don't want to expose your board of directors uh, to personal liability. So you want to have the, the board of directors insurance, but also what folks don't seem to understand uh, from time to time is that it's also critical to have general liability insurance. I mean, even if you are a small nonprofit, that is just hosting events and you invite you know senior citizens to those events or just anybody and there's a trip and fall and a bad uh, break of a bone that can be a very expensive claim so even if you're you know operating uh, at all even as a small nonprofit you certainly need those basic coverages but think about the liability for uh, the potential for sexual abuse, uh, for professional decisions that the nonprofit organizations make. And um, those are particularly difficult to ensure uh, right now in this market, particularly for child serving organizations. So, but looking at the bedrock of what we do, uh, think about as a nonprofit, you can't rent a hall or rent a facility if you don't have insurance. 
Typically, foundations will require that you show evidence of insurance. Certainly, cities and counties uh, require that you show evidence of insurance. If you want to have, if you want to have a march, you uh, or a demonstration, uh, often you you need to uh, show that you have evidence of insurance to the municipality. So there are so many ways that you really can't function uh, properly as a nonprofit if you don't have this basic. Uh, particularly liability insurance. I think one of the most extreme examples is uh, a couple years ago, uh, Black Lives Matter came to us and uh, they their insurance broker had, had gone to 90 insurance companies to try to get insurance coverage and was declined by all 90. And so think of it, this is a civil justice issue they needed to have insurance to do all the things I just described and nobody would insure them. We've insured them now for several years and uh, are very proud to be doing so. But I think at the bedrock that, ex that tells you what control uh, insurance can have over the operations of a nonprofit if it's not available or so, if it's too expensive. Well, yeah, and that I, we, we totally understand the, the difficulties uh, we see it every day in the nonprofit world. It, you know, costs continue to go up, and resources are becoming thinner and thinner. Whether they are from contracts or grants or loans or from the general public making donations, uh, you know, the the growing number of nonprofits, based on the growing number of needs, have really stretched those resources pretty thin. And so, talk a little bit about, if you could, some of the challenges that members of the Alliance are starting to uh, see. And maybe let's lead into uh, some of the things that the Alliance is doing to help support their members, some of the, some of the projects that they're working on. Right. Right. Well, one of the, there, there are a couple of things. Uh, we, we have a big legislative initiative that I, I will talk about, but also one of the areas that we have seen um, that's very important is the municipalities are really trying to foist uh, liability onto the nonprofits for even the municipality's own bad acts. And you can see where that goes. I mean, a nonprofit, and we're happy to insure our members for any, you know, the stuff that they do and the mistakes they make, okay, that happens and that's our responsibility. But what we're seeing municipalities do now is to require in contracts that the nonprofit actually take on the liability for the bad acts of the municipalities. And that, frankly, is not insurable. That's not insurable because you as a nonprofit have no control over the decision-making of the municipality or the actions that they take. And of course, as the stronger uh, party, the municipality uh, tends to um, uh, try to push it uh, onto the nonprofit and say, you know, you want the contract or not. But we have actually worked uh, directly with uh, nonprofits uh, in Florida, but other places across the country that are members of ours. And we have uh, attorneys that we will put forward and uh, actually have the conversations necessary with the municipalities. And um, at, at some point, we actually had to threaten uh, you know, to withhold the coverage for a lot of organizations just to say, this is not fair. You need these organizations. These organizations are providing important services, and you simply cannot make this demand. 
and frankly, the municipality pulled back and uh, we work very well with them now. They appreciate the, that it was an unfair position. So we use our clout to try to help nonprofits uh, be uh, responsible for only what their, their own actions and not others. And we've actually convening a uh, nationwide committee to have to elevate this and see what we can do to protect nonprofits in this way. So I see that you are also using your clout in another way with helping to support the Nonprofit Property Protection Act. Uh, so would you mind telling us a little more about really what that is and what this legislation covers? Absolutely. And this is a really important initiative, but uh, I have to say uh, members of Congress uh, and their staff, I mean, insurance is not necessarily the most exciting topic to anybody. So I understand why there are, you know, priorities that they are, are focusing on now. But this one I'm and I am happy to say is starting to get some real attention uh, because the, the essence of what this would do is very, very simple. Uh, our company that's a risk retention group that offers the liability coverage to nonprofits outside of California uh, is only authorized, and it's by federal law, it's only authorized to offer liability insurance. This is a, this was because of the crisis I mentioned earlier in, in this uh, podcast. Um, and so Congress passed the law to say, gosh, if the insurance industry 35 years ago was not able or not willing to provide this, then organizations like nonprofits have to be able to put their own insurance companies together in a way that allows them to ensure the risk of their members across the country, not just state by state, because this is a problem across the country. They created what's called risk retention groups. And they, as I said, they only allowed them to do liability. My understanding back then is that insurance industry was making money on property. Uh, they were losing money on liability. And so it was a negotiated strategy to say, well, let Congress allow these organizations like nonprofits to have all this unprofitable business, but don't let them have property. Well, as you probably know, when nonprofit, uh, when when companies, insurance companies did start, a few did start writing nonprofit insurance. Uh, again, uh, they only offer it typically as a package with the liability and the property together as one in one policy. So. We write the liability, we work through insurance brokers. Those insurance brokers uh, for our members go out to the other companies that are offering coverage that might be appropriate for nonprofits. And they say, well, we have the liability from the risk retention group. We love it. They're a C3 like our, our, ourselves. Uh, they offer us loss control and risk management education. They offer us really good liability policies that just fit our needs but we only want to purchase the property from you commercial insurance company. And the commercial insurance company says, no, it's like a bundled package for a cable, uh, for a triple play, like a cable package. You have to buy all three. You can't buy just one. So basically, so, to, to, go ahead. To just as a, as a, a more, I guess, a, oh, I'm sorry, my cord just slammed. Uh, as a more uh, simplified version of that, what you're saying is that insurance companies are basically saying you have to buy it all from us, yeah. which artificially puts control of the pricing in their hands, yes. or, or you can't have what you need to continue to operate. 
right? Is that that's the basic summary? That's it. And so we have had one property company uh, all along all these years that has offered this stand, what we call standalone property. They let us know that uh, it's really, uh, they love us, the property, it's a good uh, risk, but it's administratively really difficult for them to continue to handle. And so we have now gone to Congress, and this is where the Nonprofit Property Protection Act comes in. It's a very simple bill. What it would do is to allow nonprofits own insurance companies to offer property insurance as well as the far more complex and difficult liability insurance that they already have done for 30 years. It's a very, very simple thing. And you probably would say, oh my gosh, how could anybody be opposed to that? I mean, we've already demonstrated that we've uh, helped nonprofits all across the country, especially small community-based organizations. Who could be opposed to this? Well, I have to say that um, it, it is a philosophical opposition only, and it is certain trade associations uh, from the insurance industry, not all, but a few trade associations and the trade associations for the state-based regulators who are, have been opposed to the Liability Risk Retention Act for 35 years. And what makes it so difficult is that they are supposed to, the regulators are supposed to be the consumer protectors. And so they use that guise uh, with Congress to say, oh, we're only trying to protect these nonprofits to be opposed to this bill. But in fact, what these regulators are trying to do is protect their own turf. This is a group of trade associations and the regulators that want to preserve the status quo of this uh, old regulatory structure of 50 state regulation. And no matter how necessary an innovation is needed to solve the problem for small nonprofits, they have taken a philosophical position that we will be opposed no matter how necessary. Well, and this isn't the first time that we've seen this, right? I mean, this has been <laughs> right. this has been presented in previous Congresses where, yeah. um, you know, you've had members that recognize the importance of nonprofits to their community. You have members that recognize how valuable those services are. And so they've tried to step in and help. Yes. And so this bill has been presented before. So talk a little bit about what's, what's gone on in the past and yes. kind of what, what we're hoping happens moving forward. Very good question. So what's most interesting about this bill that it was introduced uh, first by Congressman Ross uh, in an earlier Congress that he's so that's, a Republican. That's, that, that's Congressman, I was just going to say. I was, Dennis I was Ross. About to, yeah, I was about to clarify that, but go ahead. From no, Florida. I, I'm sorry, Congressman- didn't mean- didn't mean to interrupt that's, you. Go ahead. That's okay. Dennis Ross from Florida. He was a big proponent, a Republican from Florida, and it was just a very strong leader uh, on this issue. Um, and in fact, that bill in the prior Congress was bipartisan, but it was led primarily by Republicans uh, because this is not a partisan issue. This is just not a partisan issue. Well, he was he retired, and was we were not successful in getting it through that Congress. He retired, and it was introduced in this 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 Congress by the uh, Democratic uh, co-sponsor Al Green from Texas, uh, the Democrat Al Green from Texas. And so it is uh, then there, we've gotten a lot of co-sponsors, Democratic co-sponsors, but this is where the politics is so frustrating. So even though it was the exact same bill was led by Republicans in the last Congress, 
no Republicans will go onto the bill as co-sponsors this year, even though it's the, exact same, it's the exact same bill they led last year. And it is because, uh, you know, the, the trade associations for the insurance industry have asked them to not go on because they know how difficult it is to get a bill through that is not bipartisan. But as you can see, it's not a partisan issue whatsoever. So considering the amount of opposition that the trade associations are putting forth on this, talk a little bit about... Or can you tell us what, what's the size and scope of the impact of the Nonprofit Property Protection Act? I mean, how many nonprofits are we really talking about? What percentage yep. of the industry are we really talking about? How, how much of an impact, positive or negative, would this have yep. on the, quote, bigger players in the industry? <laughs> right, because from my understanding, it's not supposed to really affect commercial insurance at all, right? Right. In fact, this is this is a nuance of this the, and a provision of this bill. This bill has been so clearly written to protect the status quo because we know this coverage, the standalone property, is not available in most cases across the country for small and mid-sized nonprofits. That get this, a provision of the bill is that if there is any state where there are three licensed admitted insurance companies, the regular old traditional insurance companies, if there are three of them in any state, the insurance commissioner simply needs to put the names of those companies on the website and that would keep any risk retention group from writing property in the state. And you would think that would have solved the problem because, again, it's a complete deference to the uh, old status quo because we know very well that the coverage is not available. In fact, Congressman Ross, bless his heart, he actually, very early in the process, he went to the opposition and said, look, I won't forward this bill if you can just provide me with a list of five insurance companies across the country that write the standalone property coverage that these small and mid-sized nonprofits need. If you can bring me that list, I will not even drop this bill. And to this day, and we've continued to ask that of the regulators. We said, look, if you can just bring us that list, we will stop this, but we know that coverage is not available. They have never brought us the name of one company that will provide this coverage. So this is not going to hurt any commercial company at all. And frankly, they know that. One, they don't like writing this business and they don't write it on a standalone basis. However, they're standing on principle. And keep in mind, these, these trade association uh, lobbyists and the lobbyists from the regulators, the NEIC, these guys, they, they socialize together. They have their kids go to the same schools. They go on vacations together. Uh, this is a, uh, this is a, a large, um, a, this is a connection between uh, the, the regulators and the industries that they're supposed to represent that is very tight. And despite how much they're hurting nonprofit organizations, they are holding that line. So I'm sure as people are listening to this, they might have the question of, well, why does why does this really matter? And why should we care? 
And so a couple of the things that I found were that uh, because of the limited access to insurance, that if nonprofits are impacted and unable to receive it, that it can stop them from receiving gun funding, excuse me, from government and private grants. It, uh, it makes it more difficult to attract qualified board members. Uh, they're unable to hold events or lease facilities. Uh, what are the other ways that you've seen, you know, this issue have a very real life impact on the kinds of activities and the services that nonprofits are able to provide? Yeah. Well, first of all, think about what happens when you limit competition in a market, which is exactly what this uh, the opposition is. It's limiting competition. It's limiting innovation. Then price is going to go up. And the companies that are being protected by the regulatory structure, the status quo that exists, they're going to be able to charge higher prices. I want to give you an example of this. When I started the first company in California, we, uh, were, we began charging 25% less than the recommended prices uh, that the insurance industry recommended. Now, here it is 30 years later in California, 30 years later, those prices are now discounted 50% off the prices that were recommended 30 years ago. No inflation in there at all. And in California, we have returned to nonprofits $47 million in dividends because the claims were not as bad as would have been predicted. Wow, that's that's really, that's unbelievably impressive. I mean, and I don't know how anybody can look at that and not recognize the value of that and want to support support an organization and a policy that supports nonprofits in that, that, that strong of a way. I mean, it really is very impressive. And, and, and we know when we go into a state uh, which, you know, we're not in all states because we haven't gotten this bill through. We can't go into other states until we get this bill through. When we go into a state, coverage improves and prices go down. Right. Um, so we we know that, the, but, but in the same regard, we're offering coverage that most insurance companies, particularly right now, and if we're talking about the market right now, I'm telling you, prices have gone up dramatically. We think they're going to continue to go up through commercial carriers. We um, are seeing them restrict the coverage they will offer for sexual abuse. Um, they are, we helped a nonprofit the other day who came to us who got a renewal on their uh, auto insurance, but they said, oh, there is going to be one change. Instead of a $5,000 deductible, we're going to impose a $100,000 deductible on every single auto claim. That's insane. And, wow. and also today, we're, we're, we're helping a nonprofit in Brooklyn who uh, was their pre premium was, and again, the premium is very large. It's a large organization. Was Premium was more than tripled. And the carrier knew that they were the only one, they thought they were the only one that would insure them until they, they found us. And they said, well, take it or leave it. You're not going to find coverage anyplace else, which is the truth. There are many nonprofits where there are one or maybe two insurance companies that even might consider a quote. Right. Um, and otherwise, they're forced to surplus lines, which is expensive and not as uh, good coverage as the nonprofit deserves and needs. Have you seen this impacting just have have there been nonprofits that you know of that have just simply had to close their services because of this issue? 
I can, I can tell you that we've seen some that are actually, that are having trouble getting auto, that are buying personal lines policies for their commercial vehicles, which is not really okay. So we've seen that. We have seen some, um, again, I don't see the ones that don't find us. And I, I, I want to say that we work only through insurance brokers. And uh, so in, in some cases, I think there are insurance brokers who uh, have not found us uh, or um, and I, I don't want to, uh, you know, say too much about this, but I, we do, we pay 15% commission, and uh, some carriers are offering to pay more. I hope brokers aren't, uh, you know, putting nonprofits with less uh, uh, robust coverage because of that. But there are nonprofits I know that are paying far too much. They're getting surplus lines, and whether or not they might just be foregoing coverage, I know some of them might be foregoing like. DNO or they're forgoing the, the property insurance or that sort of thing. But the, we, the ones that come to us are the ones that get helped, right? So we don't know what's happening with those that aren't making it to us. So how is the general public able to help if they're listening to this and they're like, this doesn't sound right and I want to <laughs> be able to do something about it. What is the best method for just that Averagely, a yeah. person action. Yes, that's a great, great question. So I will say that the the two um, places that this bill has to go through or we're working with are folks on the banking committee in the Senate and the financial services committee in the House. So uh, first of all, those are the most important members of Congress that are on those two committees. So if, if uh, certainly if you have uh, a connection uh, with um, members of Congress on those two committees, Frankly, I would love to hear about it because uh, we would want to make sure that your uh, message gets heard because it means so much if an individual nonprofit that uh, actually has a contact with someone on that committee reaches out. Or frankly, anybody in the Senate right now, we're working hard and I think any senator could be helpful and I would love to, to answer any questions folks have, but reaching out to anybody in the Senate particularly and say we really need this uh, HR 4523 would be extremely extremely helpful because it's gotten so much work with COVID I mean this is reaching crisis proportions um, our risk retention group uh, we're, we're waiting on the final information for the second quarter but the first quarter we're a 20-year-old uh, insurance company we grew by 45 percent that's almost unheard of uh, the demand is so great, the need is so great, and we can, you know, we, but we need to have this bill go through so that we actually can continue to support the nonprofit sector. So is there a place where people can find information not only on the uh, Nonprofit Property Protection Act, but also on the Alliance and yes. learn a little bit more information on how they can get involved? Of course. Um, and uh, my contact information is also here. It's our website. And honestly, I would love to talk to, to anybody who feels that they might be able to help. But it's it's www.insurance4nonprofits, all written out, insurance4nonprofits, no hyphens, dot O-R-G. And you will find information there about who we are, what we do, um, and also about uh, this bill and my my phone number and email. And I always 
uh, love speaking with with folks who uh, might be able to to help move this forward. That's great. So to wrap up, I'm going to give you a pop quiz. Are you ready? <laughs> Wait, ready. Who, who's taking the quiz? Me or Pamela? <laughs> Joe, you're going to take the quiz because oh, Pamela passes. Hey. She she does okay. this she does this to me all the time. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> all right. So can you give us a one sentence summary of this bill? Oh, a one sentence summary of this bill. Sure. Um, nonprofits need more choice in insurance, uh, and this bill would allow them to do that. Perfect. How do you how do you think Pamela does he get an A B what's his grade here? That's the best uh, explanation that I've heard. Yeah, <laughs> we need more nonprofits need more options, and the insurance industry frankly needs innovation, and this bill would do that. And again, y'all, that was House Bill forty five twenty three, known as the Nonprofit Property Protection Act. Uh, we have some great calls to action. And so we encourage all of you uh, to go ahead and look at this issue because I promise you it affects you in probably more ways uh, than you're able to think. And we will make sure that we have Pamela's information here in the description of the podcast. So if you'd like to reach out, you're able to go ahead and do so. And so really quickly, we're going to wrap up with some child welfare uh, news and updates. So we're in Florida. And as we all know, Florida is struggling a little bit right now when it comes to coronavirus. Uh, so there's not much uh, that is happening. We do have some events from other lead agencies and uh, nonprofit organizations that are up on our website, and we will make sure to keep you all updated as those are uh, rescheduled or postponed or what's going on with them. Uh, but just bear with us and keep us all in your thoughts and prayers as we're going through this together. Joe, is there anything that you know of going on that you think people should know about? Uh, no, I was actually just thinking about from our management meeting, what we talked about. We haven't had anything. As a matter of fact, the things that we did have on that list have all been canceled or delayed. So uh, I'm sitting here trying to think of it, but the, it seems like the world is kind of ground to a halt for a little bit here. So, yeah. Well, if anyone is interested ever in recommending a guest or a topic for a future episode, we would love for you to reach out for us. And you can contact us, uh, well, me directly at D. Levine. Wow, I can't even say my name at this point. Thank goodness it's Friday. Uh, so D. Levine at futureeffect.org. And Levine is L-E-V-I-E-N. Uh, so until next time, just remember that what we do together today creates a bright and resilient tomorrow for all. This is the Future Effect. See you next time.